Let's get it. You don't, baby. I'm talking about that tall line. Maybe on a 50 and it's gonna be a dog fight. Ask the girls and you know they're all lies. Boyd Meets World podcast. We finally got a name, and there's some brand new artwork courtesy of Microsoft Paint that I'm really proud of. And tonight, I'm going to talk with the co-founder of Seattle Sports and Otherwise, my man, Michael Stanton. This is the second time in a week that I've lifted a group text into a podcast, as Stanton and I are constantly going back and forth about our first love in life, which is Husky football. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about the current state of affairs in Montlake, why ESPN is all hot and bothered about Husky football, and then go into what it's going to take to get back to the college football playoff. Here we go. Stanton, how are we doing? Doing great. Uh, Typical day here in Seattle, watching some rain kind of roll in across Elliott Bay right now. So uh, that means one thing, the business end of the season, uh, getting down to the uh, nitty-gritty and the... uh, the most challenging part of the season, so I'm excited. Yeah, I think last year we had already had the Stanford game in the books, and there was kind of more, more real litmus test to see what this team is all about. And now, now it's just we're we're thumping a bunch of bad teams, so it's it's uh, got to sort through what's there. I thought I figured we should go over how we ended up finding that the other person was a uh, University of Washington football junkie. What's your recollection of the story? Oh boy, this goes way back. This goes back to the early high school days, I think. Yeah, um, I think we can, we can. I think it basically came down to Michael Roberts, our good friend, uh, realizing like, hey, I have this one crazy uh, or husky football crazed fan or friend, and this other husky football crazed friend. Uh, we should, he should, we should get them together. And I think it ended up being like a, like at an all you can eat Denny's <laughs> situation. See, I remember, I remember things a little bit differently. It's funny how pancake, pancakes kind of warped time a little bit. But uh, we didn't meet face to face. We we met screaming at each other over Halo Three for oh, yeah. Very true. Very true. For, for hours on end, and then and then realized that the other person was just as much of a psycho as the other person. So yes, um, yes, great times either way. And there's been several trips to the Woodland Park Zoo uh, in between. But anyways, first things first. Speaking of brilliant things across Elliott Bay. What did you think of the purple purple helmets, or have you had to go into shock therapy to treat your eyes afterwards? I'm, a, I'm definitely a traditionalist when it comes to these type of things. I think that's kind of what makes college football great and different in its own way. And, uh, I, I mean, from a just a straight aesthetic standpoint, I think they look great. And uh, I, I didn't really have that much of an issue, but I want it. I want to keep it to like one or two games a year where they do something like this and no more because there's something about that gold helmet with you know football it's just a it's a classic look and uh, I hope it continues for many years to come yeah I'm with you on that I think early in the Peterson years and obviously through the the latter part of Sark's tenure it started to get a little a little too mix and matchy with a bunch of different uniform combinations and all that and I think I think that everyone's kind of bought into, you know, this is just strictly business for a lot of these games, and, you know, let's get hyped up for one or two of them. Um, but, yeah, I'm with you that that's, that's kind of a, a good place to be where you have a, a very solid home kit, and then, you know, for, for a bigger game, you can, you can ramp it up. Um, yeah, I remember when I first, when we first ever wore chromes, I think 
it, w- it was at the new Husky Stadium my junior year. I was on the field, and I, I talked to, to Hugh Millen before the game, and I made him laugh because I was saying, like, I just made a, a Jingle Bells joke before the game. Uh, that's what I've always thought about these is just Christmas ornaments on top of these dudes' heads. Yeah. But, but uh, uh, they, they do pop on when, when there's a little – little rain and stuff they do kind of pop on that chrome so it looks really good yeah it could, i'm sure uh i'm sure the uh recruits enjoy it as well yeah i'm i'm sure hugh millen's listening right now so um you know hugh we'd love to have you on it's all i'm saying <laughs> i it, think i think the uh purple helmets is the first time in over 20 years that we've worn purple helmets in a game i think the last time we wore purple was back in the Lambright days, uh, back in the mid-90s, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I was, so, was going to say UW alumni, uh, Corey Dillon, would remember those, but Corey Dillon exactly, never, yeah. never went to class, so he doesn't count. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, fan of the Purple Helmets, fan enough, I guess. Once in a while, they're good. Let's talk about some actual football. We're going to get into kind of the political side of, of things, which <laughs> stuff got weird with, with the University of Washington football program this week, but we'll talk about that in a second. First things first, the 38-7 SmackDown against Cal and a bunch of SmackDowns throughout the season. Uh, we're going to just ping-pong some, some, uh, some takeaways so far between uh, you know just the individual Cal game and then how the dog's been playing this season. Uh, but you had a big point this week and, and did some, some, some deep coal mining digging for this stat. I'm, I'm excited to, for you to share this with everybody. One of my favorite things to do, I think... Uh, I think just right off the bat, everybody should know I'm a stat guy, so you're going to get a lot of these uh, coming at you here in the next uh, 20 minutes or so. Ooh, baby. But I think over... Oh, go ahead. I said, ooh, baby. Oh, uh, yeah. It'll, it'll, be, it'll be a fun time. Okay. Um, but I think before I get into my main point here, I think, first of all, we need to recognize that the defensive performance that we saw against Cal this past weekend was, uh, albeit the opponent wasn't that great, Um arguably one of the best defensive showings we've seen probably in our lifetimes. I mean, it was top five in, in yards allowed uh, in program history. It was, I think, 93 yards, correct me if I'm wrong, which is unbelievable. Um, so that was, inc- that was incredible. But my main point, I guess, would be just how this, our secondary is playing. That was one of the biggest question marks uh, coming into, into this season. On the defensive side of the ball, we lost a lot of talent, as many many of us know. We lost Buda Baker, Sidney Jones, and Kevin King to the NFL, uh, all three going to the top 43 picks in the NFL draft. So that's obviously a lot of talent uh, that needs to be replaced. And uh, we've seemingly done a good job in that department when it comes to uh, the inclusion of Jordan Miller at one of the starting quarterback positions, as well as uh, redshirt freshman Byron Murphy, who unfortunately is hurt um, at this point, but Austin Joyner has filled in nicely, and he's actually, he may hold the starting position when Byron Murphy comes back. I, mean, I don't know about that. <laughs> so, we'll see about that, but Mur- I mean, Murphy is like, uh, I'm sure you, you dabbled in, in some backyard football in your day. Oh yeah. Murphy is like when you had those trick plays where it was like magnet and you had, you earned it or whatever, and once you once you called magnet, whoever if they if they threw it, it was just an automatic interception. That's yeah. how Byron Murphy yes. is. He he made a couple of plays in that Rutgers game uh, that I got the pleasure of seeing firsthand, where I wouldn't even imagine going for the ball like he did. And he he 
he he acts as if he is the receiver on plays when he's playing quarterback. He's he's incredibly special. Um, so yeah, can't wait to have him back. He he has the lowest passer rating when targeted of any defensive player in the Pac-12 at 8.8 passer rating, which is just incredible. That's through week five, so that's before the Cal game. But I mean, it's not like if he was in there, it would have hurt that. Uh, that stat at all yeah uh, Jordan Jordan Miller in fact is actually number two on that list at 15.1 and then there's a pretty big gap to number three uh it's one of the Cal cornerbacks and Josh Drayden at 32.6 so that just goes to show you that you know these corners are falling out up there I think it needs to be uh needs to be uh, talked about because it's pretty incredible what we're seeing yeah what, what scares me is that I think Jimmy Lake is gonna quickly become America's next top uh future head coach, a place like Tennessee or all these places they are desperate for a coaching change could, could want to pluck someone from, from a program like this. And uh, the, the, the numbers don't lie. He's been able to produce some, some, some incredible talent, taking a lot of two-star, three-star guys uh, and making them bona fide NFL players. So, yeah, we'll see about that. Is that your official first takeaway is just the, the incredible defense, or are, are you trying to get into the first one here? Well, I think, I think to just to add to that a bit more, I mean – not only have, has the secondary been great, but we've also been able to play a lot of our young guys because it's been blowouts in the second half. So, uh, you know, Brandon McKinney, Elijah Molden, Keith Taylor have all received a, or, or been able to play a lot, which is great for uh, future years. Um, and on top of that, I mean, someone I haven't mentioned, Miles Bryant. That guy is playing oh, yeah. really well in the uh, nickel position. He's second on the team in tackles with 24 tackles. So, uh, just great stuff all around. Zeke Turner's playing well. Uh, him and JoJo McIntosh splitting time at safety with uh, Taylor Rapp in there pretty much full-time. So, just overall, um, what was the biggest question mark on the defense is, I think, you can be pretty happy with in that department so far. Yeah, I think we're going to talk about the uh, the Husky schedule for, for some different reasons, some pastry-themed reasons here uh, in a little bit, but... That early yeah. soft part of the schedule really did help them figure out that those those keys. It didn't take a lot of games for guys like uh, like Miles Bryant and, and Austin Joyner to really get their their bearings and, and start dominating. Uh, that first game, Miles Bryant drops an, an easy pick six in the Rutgers game. Uh, ended up costing them on that drive. That's why you have a Rutgers game, right? Is to get through something like that. And now you know he has, he picked six in the call in the Colorado game. Um, he, he's just, he's rock solid back there. And that's another product of, of Jimmy Lake and that Husky defense, um, cultivating talent out of, out of not a whole lot there. Um, yeah, I mean, it, they're, they're incredible. And to, to not really skip a beat from last year when, you know, this team was stifling teams like Alabama and, and even USC had difficulty scoring, um, on, on the dogs last year, but to still, to still have basically no drop off. Um, has just really been impressive. And we're actually, uh, passing yardage-wise, we're actually doing better. Granted, obviously, the easy schedule to begin, but we're we're seventh in the country right now uh, on uh, passing defense at 150.3 yards per game versus 192.6 last year. So um, we still, uh, still have some games to go, but so far so good. It's actually incredible when I was looking that up. WC is actually sixth in the country at 146.3 yards per game. So... The Cougs actually have us top in that department, which I never would have guessed if you asked me that five years ago, but here we are. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that the Cougs, the, the the dynamics of the games that they've been playing in are a little bit different than than the Dogs. The Dogs are in a lot of situations where the second half is teams just stuffing throws down the field, trying to get points on the board. So Desperation, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, some different factors go into that. Does, uh, obviously, we mentioned the competition. that This Husky defense really hasn't been challenged Um Colorado had probably the most talent on that team and still had difficulty scoring after the first quarter. So who who in the Pac-12 and who in the rest of the season can give that challenge? I, I see UCLA on the schedule. Obviously, you got Josh Rosen there. But is there anyone else other than, obviously, that, that game at the end of the season? Yeah, yeah, that one game at the end of the season. I mean... I think it's in November yep. after Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah, involves some fruit. Um, yeah, I, I mean... You could probably say USC, although it's who knows if we'll play him. I mean, right. we'll see. But I mean, Josh Rosen has attempted the most passes in the country, so you're going to see a lot of passing when that Bruins roll to town here on the 28th. So uh, I don't know. I mean, definitely the Cougs. The Cougs are definitely the, the most scary team out there still on the schedule. Um, UCLA can ball out on their day, but they haven't really shown me enough yet to really feel that nervous about them but it's pac 12 and it's going to be after dark so you know anything is possible i guess uh yeah especially if if, uh mark jones is on the call but yeah Yeah, the the points about the defense we've talked a little bit more about the secondary than anything else um the seattle times had a great article this week that i want to talk about and that's just the where the pass rush is coming from so just some quick stats here um certainly intuitively when you watch the huskies it doesn't seem like they're dialing back these these crazy blitzes and, and sending seven or eight guys at the quarterback and 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 having the quarterback you know be able to to play against open coverage. They're literally just playing three and four guys going at the quarterback, three four down linemen, uh, and getting results. So of the eighteen snaps where the Huskies only rushed three guys against Cal on pass plays last year or last week, eighteen snaps, six sacks. So thirty three percent. Uh, of of those snaps resulted in sacks. That's a third of every pass attempt being a sack with just three down linemen. That is unheard of. I think the, the like the 07 Giants hear that and they're like, what? Uh, that that stat is is still insane to me. What 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 does that allow you to do when you can when you can just rush three guys and and create that kind of pressure? It makes the passing game incredibly difficult, especially with the talent that we just talked about that we have on the back end of the defense. I mean, honestly, in a Pac-12 game, that should never be the case. You'd hope that the quality of Pac-12 teams would be better than that. And I don't think that's necessarily a knock on Cal, I guess. I think it's just goes to show you that we have some some guys up front that uh, can really get the job done uh, from multiple positions, whether that be down the, you know, over the center and Vita Vea or from the rush end buck position from Connor O'Brien or uh, whoever you put in there. So, I mean, the talent is just, it, this is probably the deepest team I've ever seen as a, as a UW fan. And I've been going to games ever since I was a little kid, 25 <laughs> years ago. So uh, this is crazy. I mean, we're watching something that's special so far. Yeah, yeah, I remember Daniel Teoneshaim was like just a, an absolute terror relatively when I don't know when we were like early high school, and I don't even know where his spot in the rotation would be in this in this situation. Like th- there is just so much talent coming in waves, 
um, Vita Vea, Greg Gaines as, as your two anchors that, that, you know, have either one of those guys in the line and you're going to create pressure up the gut. And then Tevis Bartlett, uh, Levi Amuzuruke, did I nail that right? I say Amuzuruke, but, you know, it's Mando Tomato. Exactly. All right, Jalen Johnson, um, Benning Potoai. We got your boy Ryan Bowman. Shane Bowman, want... Ryan Bowman. Yeah, yeah the, Bo- the Bowman bros. And Amandre Williams, just a bunch of guys who have accumulated multiple sacks this year. Um, it's to the point where I want to see what these guys can do against against some real competition um, and see see if these, these stat, stats and sacks and pressure that we're creating isn't just fool's gold. Agreed. It's, it's, it'll be nice also from, I mean, I just kind of, want to show the rest of the country that hey we're we're real it's not just an easy schedule that we've had so far yeah yeah exactly um so we've talked a lot about the defense that goes without saying and i think the the conclusion is great defense we'll see how it goes against against some more quality uh offensive opponents coming up here in the next few weeks uh you had a a great point about uh, mr miles gaskin that sorry my cat is going absolutely bonkers right now you had a point about miles gaskin and just the, the damage that he's doing to defenses throughout this year. Yeah, I mean, he just seems to build it as the game goes on. I mean, he's averaging four and a half yards per carry in the first half, but he turns it up in the second half. He's average, averaging just a shade under eight yards per carry. In the fourth quarter, if you isolate that alone, he's averaging 11.8 yards per carry, which is insane. First down every time he touches the ball yeah. uh, on the ground. So uh, he just builds in the game nicely, and it, he just really wears down defenses, and eventually just kills them off. It's it's a great it's like it's a great way to just kind of you know kill off a game. It's just in the second second half, just hand it off to Gaskin, and they'll find a way. Um, he's already he's already amassed two games with over twenty carries, which is more than um, he did all last season. So that's great. So they're really dependent on him. He has I think three times the amount of yardage is low on Coleman and I don't think that's a knock on Coleman at all I just think it's Gaskin's playing that well as of late especially in the in the conference schedule he kind of didn't really get as many snaps in non-conference but uh they've been really riding him lately and it's uh really paid off 10 touchdowns total touchdowns through these first six games so uh definitely someone that's gonna uh, help us get through those tough games that are coming up here at the end of the season. Yeah, Miles Gaskin is so so undervalued. But even he he's not like if he was relied upon the same way Bishop Sankey was um, in like 2013 or whatever Sankey's um, Sankey's crazy season was, the numbers would be insane. The, the the volume's just not there. It doesn't have to be. He's not even playing in a lot of those fourth quarters that you're saying. Um, you know, when he does touch yeah, the ball. Yeah, he has 14 carries in the fourth quarter so far, so. Yeah, it's, it's nuts. <laughs> Not very many. Exactly. So, uh, you know, their ability to, to use him, uh, but also to, to, to save him for, for bigger, more important games as the season goes on, you get those tired legs, tired arms, it's, it's harder to tackle a guy with, with, uh, with fresh, spe- fresh legs there. And that's another thing with, with LeVon Coleman. I don't think that, that can be underestimated. They took their time getting him back from a concussion. Obviously, I'm all about that. But took their time getting him back from that. Um, and now they have a guy who's the last couple of weeks has really come on. Um, and that offense is just going to be so tough to stop once you have both of those guys running in close games at the end of games. Um, I, I think that all of this can't be, can't be said as, as just some random – he only has this many carries. They're not playing this many games. Like I think they're saving Coleman for these types of games where they have to grind it out late in the game. 
Agreed. Agreed. It's it's a real stable of backs. I mean, if you throw in Savon Ahmed in there, who's, you know, he's young, but he's definitely talented. And if you can kind of find his own here, um, not that we'll depend on him that much, but just having three backs that are, that are capable is nice. And we definitely have two. So um, it kind of reminds me of those, those LSU teams from, I think, the late 2000s where you had, what was it, Alfred Blue, Jeremy Hill, uh, there's a couple more guys. I just remember that that 41 to three loss we had down Baton Rouge. It's like they had four guys that they that they just rotated and out, and just absolutely demolished us on the ground. And uh, I know we're not like a run. It's, we're not always a run heavy team like a Stanford or anything. But I think it's definitely something. If we need to, we can depend on it, and we know that they can get it done between those two guys or three guys. Yeah, exactly. I mean the. You're not you're not you're not forcing Ahmed to to play. You're not forcing him a guru to get involved, but you still have those guys um, as a part of the offense, and they'll be slowly but surely working. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, I mean that's kind of how it feels everywhere. Um, maybe other than quarterback right now with this team is that there's someone uh, someone young who doesn't even have to play, um, but but you know that in a couple of years they're going to be hearing their name and and being able to rely on them. Another yeah, guy, Amari Pleasant too. Yeah, I mean they have to move Jamal Dotson to DB to free up space in the running back. Position, yeah, so. exactly. And let's get that guy another pick because I've never seen anyone try harder to get a touchdown than he did <laughs> uh, against. Was that that was Montana, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, another another guy in that kind of same mold who you know in theory could be could be getting stashed but is not. He's just too talented. His freshman Hunter Bryant at tight end. He is just skyrocketed into the into the conversation as one of the the Huskies' most potent weapons. He just looks the part. I mean, he, calling him a tight end is is definitely cheating. Um, he's much more of a receiver body, a little shorter, six two and and two two twenty or so. Uh, but he's making plays that that I, I, like I don't know if there's anyone else on this team who is capable of doing that. Um, like the the nine for one twenty one number line he put up last week the touchdown jumping over yeah, people he just ripped it out of the guy's hands basically yeah, yeah he is like that was a pick I'm pretty sure I thought he picked it, it and then all of a sudden he came out of the scrum and he was just holding it yeah it was like the opposite of the Golden Tate play but he yeah exactly. he, he uh he just plucked it from people and that that is a nineteen year old freshman doing that um I can't even imagine what he was doing to to kids from O'Day and and like. Bishop Blanchett last year, um, yeah. but yeah, what what have you seen from Bryant this year? Well, I think this past weekend was obviously it's kind of his coming out party, but he just doesn't seem like a true freshman. He seems like he's been there, um, been there, done that. And he seems pretty composed out there. I mean, tight end is like talking about depth. Tight end is deep too. You have Sample, true Sample, who's who's been hurt in recent weeks, but was back last week, and he's definitely a capable tight end someone you can rely upon and then we've had this kind of out of nowhere will disley you know uh the disley bear yeah it's uh it's great you can go to all three of those guys and um feel comfortable going to them and it's a great safety blanket for jake to have um especially uh when we face some of the harder secondaries like like everything later in the season when we got these harder opponents yeah, I, I the way they the way they've been able to use uh, those guys at tight end and, and create mismatches and and really find places where their their offensive skill players can can exploit um, has been fun to watch. They're they're using Hunter Bryant 
putting him on the line as a tight end, but obviously he he's an absolute nightmare for for guys that would normally guard tight ends. Um, so yeah, I I love every time he's on the field because whether he's getting the ball or not, you just feel like he he's a part of the play as either a weapon or a decoy. So all about Hunter Bryant. Um, can't can't wait to see him turn into more of a focal point of the offense as the season goes on. Yeah, he's he's just a downright freak. He's an athlete, and uh, we're going to be seeing this. Hopefully, I would expect to, to see this for at least two more years. Oh yeah, uh, I like that. Let's uh, let's move on. You had another point here. Uh, do you want to talk about the linebackers a little bit? Yeah, I just think it. I think it was uh, kind of interesting. You know, obviously Zing Victor was. Uh, knocked out last season with a with a broken leg and then was suspended for first game of the season. But he's been back and he's been playing a bit. But he, I don't think he got in until the third defensive, uh, the third uh, possession of the game uh, this past weekend. And it's all because Ben Burkerlin is just playing his playing out of his mind. He's leading the team tackles with forty tackles, uh, sixteen more tackles than the next person on our team. Um, so I guess you can't really fault uh, Coach K and, and uh, Coach Pete for rolling with BBK. They're also trying to get Azeem at, uh, playing a little more time at rush and to get him uh, coming down at the quarterback. But it's it's just another depth issue, you know. Like we got we got players playing well, so might as well roll them. But it's it's great. I mean, it's yeah. kind of it's kind of weird to not see Azeem out there starting the games because he was the rock of the defense last year, but um, it's a good situation to be in. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll, I'll get completely speculative here. I have no basis of saying this whatsoever. I brought this up in our in our group text, so obviously I've, I've had a little bit of thought about it, but I, I, I liken this to a situation. I was an assistant coach uh, for freshman boys basketball last year at the school I worked at, and we had a player who was um, extremely talented, so athletic, ended up with like an average of 12 steals every time he played, um, but just would act a fool any given chance that he had. And the problem was is that we couldn't play anyone to take his spot uh, in order to, to challenge him and, and use playing time as any sort of a, a, a leverage or fulcrum point. And I think the, the Huskies are in the exact opposite situation there where they can, they can now say, look, Azeem Victor, you are an all Pac-10, all American, or all Pac-12, all American candidate. Definitely talented. Probably going to be a first-round pick next year. Uh, but you still have some things to prove, and we're not seeing your absolute best yet. And so, in the meantime, we're just going to keep winning. We're going to keep playing this guy uh, who's going to be just fine for us. So that luxury of talent, that spoil of riches of talent, allows them to to make these types of decisions. That's just me speculating. Um, but I, I think that there's at least some some truth to that. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think that's that's accurate. I I don't I don't think he's been playing that poorly to be honest. I think it's just that Ember Kirkman is playing so well. You lose a little muscle in the middle with with BBK out there instead of a seam. But uh, but you gain so much hair. You, you gain so much hair and you gain some speed too. So it's it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. Yeah, definitely. And if you listen to Zine Victor, uh, he, he actually had one of his rare uh, quotes this week. He, he seems totally bought first into the time, system. First time he's talked. Yeah. First time he's talked since his leg injury, I think. Yeah. Actually, but go ahead. He seems 0% like disinterested with the program or, or affected by this in some way where he's not playing as much. Obviously, the guy's not stupid. He knows how talented he is. He knows uh, he knows where where 
you know, that he's going to be a, a millionaire in a couple of years. But I think that, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a compliment to the program that you can have a star player like this, um, just kind of lose playing time by nothing else other than maybe uh, another player playing better. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't rupture team chemistry or, or that player at all. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just one of those qualitative elements of the program that, that, you know, coach Pete is just, he's just a master at this kind of stuff. And they do a great job just rotating everybody in. I mean, this pod should be called depth because that's what it's coming down to with all these, these talking points. It's just depth. It's, they, they have the talent and they have a lot of it. So they can, they can rotate through. So everybody's fresh. So, I mean, I have no issue with it. If it's, if it's working now, I mean, why change it? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, just to have a, a guy like Azim Victor that you can bring off the bench essentially um, is, is just, it's nuts. I, I couldn't have imagined uh, being in this position. It seems like that this depth, um, just just happened over the matter of, of three or four years. So, uh, and, and it seemed like such a loss when he was hurt last year, yet he's not playing as much this year, and it kind of almost goes unnoticed, Right. at least so far. Right, and, and I mean, that might have been part of it, too, is, is Victor's injury allowed BBK and, and Beavers to, to play a little bit more and get that, get that time and get that experience to, to be ready for this year. Um, any other big takeaways so far? From, from this season, other than Vita Vea, is just an absolute freak of nature. Yeah, that guy's going early, <laughs> early first round, just uh, to be clear. Favorite Vita Vea story, being at the, the college football playoff last year, and they have like a, like a red carpet, essentially, where players come through, and, you know, everyone's got their headphones in, and they're walking, and, you know, some people are smiling and shaking, shaking hands with, with, uh, with fans and, and stuff like that. Vita Vea walks through seemingly doesn't even really know that there's a game that day with just the biggest pair of sunglasses that you could ever imagine on his face. Um, totally indoors in front of, you know, 10,000 screaming people saying, Vita, Vita, doesn't care. Um, he is an, an interesting guy, and just the way that he moves and, and moves people uh, is is just breathtaking. I'm, uh, I'm searching images of Vita Vea on Google, and he's sitting here with a, with a block of wood in front of him, so yeah, there's some there's some weird photos of him out here. Absolutely, yeah. So. That's it. Sounds like a great like Tumblr account. It's just Vita Vea, <laughs> Vita Vea doing things. Um, yeah, hopefully he's he's doing doing a lot of like sacking of of uh, Wazoo and USC quarterbacks in the next coming months. So um, yeah, lots to look forward to. The football's been great. I think we've we've beat that to death. But the, maybe the most interesting part of this week in Husky football had nothing to do with football, kind of, was uh, just the absolute sandbagging that ESPN did for three hours uh, while they telecasted the, uh, the Husky game on Saturday. Do you want to kind of recap the, the, the sequence of events as best as you can to, as to why this happened? Yeah, sure. It was uh, it was just another typical Saturday morning here watching game day, and then Kirk Herbstreit all of a sudden comes out and says that you know the Huskies should be thankful for ESPN's coverage of of uh, their games nationally over the years and things like that. And yeah, and this I, I was I was amazed when I heard that. I yeah, like, we'll get into that more, but this comes after uh, Chris Peterson at a press conference early, oh, yes. earlier yeah, in the I week. Give that contest. Yeah, absolutely, saying that um, basically. Apologizing to to 
Husky fans as to how why their games have to be started so late and how every single game um, has had a has had a late afternoon kickoff time um, and all the implications that come with that. I mean, my the guys that sit around my dad had to stop coming to games because it took too long and they would get home too late and they have young kids. So, uh, you know, these are real decisions that obviously are focused in in money and exposure and all that stuff, but they have real implications on. On people, and I think Chris Peterson was acknowledging that in his press conference. Then it got into the Kirk Herb Street um, talking about, like, you know, you should be thanking us kind of speech that he gave on game day. And then what happened after that? Yeah, and then the, uh, the announcing team or the commentators during the game uh, Mark Jones, Rod Gilmore, and Quint, Quint Kessinich, or Quint Kessinich of. Uh, John Hopkins lacrosse fame, as Michael Hatcher would point out, um, really took it upon themselves to uh, make sure that everybody watching knew um, about, about well, the easy schedule that we've had so far out of conference, but also they made it right up front. Uh, they made it clear that viewership was actually up uh, 38%, I think is what they said, when games were being played on uh, after 9 o'clock uh, Eastern time on ESPN, which has some validity to it, I think, but at the same time, there's a lot of outside factors that might inflate that number. Yeah, like, it's, it's, it's just drunk people who have ESPN on at parties. That's, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's honestly all it is. Um, I mean, you would know best. You, you live in Boston. You know how this goes. So. Yeah, no one's, no one's watching. Like, I mean, I, I, I'm not super plugged into, like, first of all, college football is, is kind of a, it's, it's a little bit of a college football desert out here. Uh, it was just at a Boston college game last weekend, and oh my God, we have a lot to be thankful for. But, uh, um, but that being said, it, I, I don't think that that's, that's wholly the case, and this is unlocking some secret viewership that wouldn't otherwise be there. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of people who are involved in football who get a chance to watch to watch Washington, who are, you know, that's part of their job to do that. Um, however, I don't think that it's it's really moving the needle uh, on a national level in terms of exposure. So I don't know about that. It was it was it was just weird. All of it was weird. There was there seemed to be a conceded effort on ESPN's part to make Washington regret something to to feel yeah. to feel bad. Uh, you know, they 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 mentioned Coach Peterson as irascible and cantankerous which like he's not the the most warm guy with media um but to say that during a broadcast is just it's child's play there there, there was a clear uh agenda during that game to to kind of embarrass washington and to make them look i think lesser as a program to look like some some west coast tucked away um you know thinks it's better than it is type of program when ESPN's job is not to be the arbiter of, of people's opinions. It's just to show the product and then let other people make their opinions. So, uh, yeah, I had I was just in shock at what I was hearing during the game um, because of just what it means for college football that ESPN can have the power to to say these things and, and all Washington has to do is basically just, like, accept it and say, I'm sorry, and, like, that's that's just wrong. Yeah, it was. I thought it was. I haven't watched the broadcast. I've heard some of the some of the parts of it, but I haven't watched it in, in total. But I, what I, what it seems like, it seemed pretty professional. And then on top of that, Mark Jones did chime up, chime back on 
on Twitter after the game to some UW fans uh, talking about Alabama's beatdown of us last year, which I don't think it was a beatdown, first of all. But it's like, Agreed. you know, you've already done so much. Are you really going to go on Twitter and, and talk against the Huskies on there, too? That's not really your job as well. So I thought it was poorly handled on their part. And for ESPN, who's kind of reeling, to be honest, at this point as a company, um, they just laid off a bunch of people earlier this year, and I feel like they're losing some viewership. Uh, I know I don't really watch ESPN other than when there's a Husky game on or a good football game on. Uh, it's just a, it, it was just all very odd. I yeah. thought it was weird. Yeah, it, it just it did not feel like a normal football telecast. I, I wasn't there was not nearly enough focus on on the football that was being played. Um, especially from, from guys who had done UW games in the past. So, yeah, it was, it was strange, and I hope, I hope that it's over. Uh, but the sad part is, is that ESPN factors into uh, UW's future throughout this year as to their, whether they're playing in the college football playoff or not. Um, and so because of that, all of that floodgates opening commentary that we heard on Saturday, uh, I worry that there's, there, there's kind of a, an agenda to keep to keep UW out. So hopefully that doesn't happen. And, and the really only way to do it is to, to just leave no doubt and just beat everybody. Um, anything else we want to talk about with ESPN? I, I think uh, administrators at UW and the, in the UW athletic department are pretty mad about the whole ordeal as well. Uh, from what I can tell from the meanderings on dogman.com. So um, yeah, just overall was unfortunate. Then it happened, um, but whatever. We just keep playing, and uh, if we keep doing our job. It doesn't really matter at the end of the season. Yeah, let's hope not. Um, so, the the like I said, the the difference between uh, Husky football and like just average turn on your TV college football game, whatever's on Vanderbilt versus Florida type game, like it's we're just playing on a different plain than a lot of these teams so every game matters in the sense that um you know you're not looking at like program development we're obviously developed it's now everything is geared towards how do you get to the college football playoff and if you if you fall short of that when you have a team as talented as UW does uh it's kind of a failure so that being said how how in your estimation can UW get there they got there last year despite losing a game um, during the season, do you think that's possible this year? Do you think they can still lose a game and make it in? I do not. I don't think so. I think um, there's not enough. Uh, there's not enough challenging teams on our schedule. Uh, not enough quality wins, potential quality wins out there to really help us in that category. And I think Alabama is probably not going to lose. Good chance Clemson doesn't lose either. Um, there's got to be a team from the Big Ten that makes it in. Um, I just there's a, there's a lot of really good one loss teams out there, or at least seem to be good one loss teams out there, uh, like Ohio State or um, I mean I guess Oklahoma. I don't think Oklahoma has a very good shot anymore, um, but I, I think we got to win out. But I think we're capable of doing that. It's kind of it, if if it goes to plan, it's kind of funny that Apple Cup is probably going to end up sort of being like the the conference championship in a way um although usc could run the table at this point in time the best two teams in the conference are in the state of washington and only one of them can go to the conference title game and only one team from that conference title game can go potentially to the college football playoffs so 
it's it's just how it is. Um, I, it, there's so much more football to be played, so I could be wrong there. But there was points the last season that, like when we lost to USC, um, I thought that was probably it at our hopes for getting into the cultural playoff. But uh, I think this season we probably need to win out. Uh, yeah. Until the playoffs, in order to make it in. Yeah, I think what what works well for in UW's favor last year was when Colorado won a bunch of games and became a quality win by the end of the season. So beating Colorado meant meant something in that game. Um, so I, I I do think that that UW has to win out, but I also think that even if they do win out, that they run the risk of not making it in because of of kind of the the lack of quality opponents, just as it is. So. UW fans, you are enormous Wazoo fans. You are enormous USC fans until we have to play them. Um, I, I don't know how to make this any more clear. It seems so wrong. Yeah, it, it's it's so backwards. But you know, in order to 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 beat or to play good teams in the, the college football playoff, you have to show that you can beat other good teams. So you know, if USC takes a couple a couple more losses in between now and and when we might have to play them in this the the conference championship, or same thing with Wazoo. Then that win, even if you get it, it, it doesn't look as good. So um, you're rooting for basically every Pac-12 team, every good Pac-12 team to win their games um, so that every every UW win uh, looks better. Anything? I, I, Go ahead. I think, I think, though, if we went out, I, regardless of the quality of opponents, I, I feel like we're still in. If we were to win out, win the conference title game, uh, I like the default to 538. Which uh, is a great website if you haven't checked it out. I know you have, Boyd, but uh, they have us at a, over a ninety-nine percent chance to to make the college football playoff. It's like one of those like NA, like not a book, like it's just so foregone if we were to win out. So I I think we're in if we win out, but at the same time, I I hate talking about this because it's just getting way ahead of ourselves. But I think I think you got to. Think you gotta win out, but if you went out, you're good. I don't think there's any chance for missing out if we went out. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a it's the curse of having a good program that even on our agenda for tonight we had you know playoff scenarios before talking about the Arizona State game that's actually happening on this Saturday. Um, but yeah, that's it's a weird position to be in. It is. It is. There's kind of this this there's this two playing fields. There's the the actual 60 minutes you have on Saturdays, and then the uh, the bigger. Um, chess game that you have to get into the to into the playoff and, and play the, the games that really matter. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't care about an Oklahoma game, Oklahoma Iowa State game at all. Oh, but we were we were season. pumped on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, like I I would not even be watching that probably. Right, right, but all of a sudden now it's like you know just stop whatever no you're deal. doing. Laundry can wait. You got to get to. Uh, <laughs> not that either of us do laundry, but you got to. Yeah. No. yeah. Uh, Got to get to a TV to see these types of games. Um, yeah, I mean, stay tuned for for obviously the top top ten teams and how they fare out the rest of the season. But uh, I think I think the the logic is super sound there. Just got to win out, and then everything else will take care of itself. Um, so that being said, let's talk about the opponent on the schedule for Saturday. Obviously, another late, another uh, very late game against a not very good opponent, but this time in Tempe, Arizona, a place that. Washington hasn't won in since 2001. Uh, it's been kind of a cursed place. We we talked about this before, um, just over text. But are there any are there any like horrible memories that you have of UW playing games in Tempe? I have I have several. I I feel like I've actually kind of 
uh, wash these out of my memory just because we it's been what 17 years since we won there so yeah I I don't even like thinking about it uh, and the same went for Arizona too I mean I know we barely beat them last year but I don't think we had one there for years as well until yeah. last season so we hadn't won there um, since uh, since Craig Chambers and company went into to Tucson and, and stole the show Craig Chambers is that the wide receiver? Yeah, him and him and James Sims Jr. tore it up one year and and got it he got it done. That that is so so long ago. Yeah. It's just Arizona's not been as great of a trip it is and a way trip it is and we travel well in those games road dogs. It's just not been kind to us in in the past 20 years. Or yeah. So. It's a hard place to play especially if you play kind of on the early half of the season when the weather is still uh, just you know, we talk about irascible and cantankerous. That's that's the definition there is Arizona weather in, in the uh, yeah prior to fall. It's supposed to be ninety two degrees God. at kickoff at which is seven forty five p.m. That's ninety two. So that's kind of new for all of us from Seattle. I just looked at my shoulder and it started to burn just thinking about that. Um, yeah, I have I have some some haunting stories. Obviously, two years ago. Um, Jake Browning had just a, an absolute meltdown, was up, I think, 17-3 to three at halftime, and then through four second-half interceptions, ended up losing the game. Um, people have talked about that as kind of the turning point in Jake Browning's career. He's only lost two games since then. Um, but that game was whatever. I didn't really have super high expectations of that team. But the real, the real heartbreaker for me, I was 2009, and um, I'll just kind of summarize the game. UW was led by, you know, the, the, uh, the, one of the apostles, Jake Locker, Chris Polk, yes. uh, Devin Aguilar, that, that crew. And they went in and, and I had a lead late in the Arizona State game. Um, we're kind of grinding it out. And then Arizona State was able to tie it. And then instead of, like, ending the game and going to overtime, UW, like, did some stupid Sark stuff and ended up getting the ball, or ASU had the ball back with like 18 seconds left on the 50 and just threw a prayer Hail Mary um, to a guy named Chris McGahee. And yes, you're right. You've never heard of Chris McGahee in your life because I think this was his only catch, not just like in college or in the NFL, but maybe in his life. I don't think he's ever caught anything ever um, except for a, a game-winning touchdown in that game. I'm just going to le- read you a sentence from the Seattle Times um, that, that encapsulates that game. It was the only catch of the night for McGahee and the longest completion of Sullivan's career. This is ASU quarterback Danny Sullivan. Coach Dennis Erickson has stuck with the senior Sullivan despite a sputtering offense and calls from critics for touted freshman, wait for it, Brock Osweiler. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That was uh that was a weird age of Pac-12 football. Vontae's perfect uh, as a freshman at ASU, yep. just racking up personal fouls. Um, Crazier yeah. than he than he ever was in the NFL, probably. Absolutely, which is saying something. Yeah, way less tame. Um, yeah, so th- those were some dark dark days, and we've watched a lot of bad football in our lives uh, at the hands of of this program. But uh, but that that one always sticks out to me. It's just a a, a really really sour bowl of milk after after your cornflakes there that, that uh that's probably the uh that's probably pac 12 after dark before it's been coined pac yeah i think dark. that was that because was every on, game is at night down there that was totally on Crazy. on fox sports net 
Um, yep. <laughs> and it was probably one of those games where I don't think they had really figured out like the first down line technology yet. Um, so yeah, sponsored by Kiosera, Overstock.com. Overstock.com. Wow, that is quite the pull. Um, <laughs> wow, how's your how's your Overstock.com stock doing, by the way? Uh, very poorly. <laughs> Trending down. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, we we should have another podcast where we just go over like the opposite of happy happy days and just remind <laughs> remind people of how bad Husky football. Uh, there's a lot. Yeah, there's there's so much. We might have to schedule that for the bye week next week, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, great. Let's let's book it. Anything in the actual ASU game? I I know that ASU's defense is is their strong suit. Uh, Manny Wilkins is a guy we kind of tossed around last year um, in Seattle, and uh, you know the ASU's always going to have some skill position talent, but. Uh, I, I, I don't feel worried about this game other than the fact other than the, the location of it. Yeah, I, I don't feel that worried either, but look at what happened last season when we went down to Arizona. So you, you just never know. Uh, our buddy Hatcher, I think it was yesterday, talked about in our little group text we have about how this is a trap game with kind of some distractions with the ESPN fallout this week and Oregon State losing their or parting ways with Gary Anderson, their coach, and some, you know, Jimmy Lake and uh, Jonathan Smith potentially being linked with that opening. So some outside, potentially some outside distractions that kind of kind of plays into what you would expect in a, in a quote-unquote trap game. But I, I just don't see it, see us faltering here. I, Arizona State's defense is pretty bad, like top 10 nationally bad, uh, at least in pass defense. Um, so I think we will most likely torch them like we've done with most opponents so far, or all opponents so far this season. Um, but like I said, you never know when you get out there in the desert. Something's weird about it. There's something weird in the air. And it's 7.45 kickoff. It's just I wouldn't count it yet. Yeah. Uh, I wish it was a 7.45 kickoff for, for your boy out here. 10.45, yeah, yeah. These, these games are – they end up with me sleeping through a lot of the, the – the third and fourth quarters, especially with the quality of opponents. So, um, yeah, we shall see. I think uh, not that you welcome tough situations because they are, you know, bad for your your heart as a Husky fan, but I think that, that last year that Arizona game, being able to pull that win out, um, I think had a big big to do with, with how ready they were for that Stanford game the, the following week. So, um, you know, if adversity comes, hopefully, you, you know, obviously get a win. Get out of there, break break the streak since since one. Um, but you know you kind of welcome those situations where you can you can strengthen the team and, and uh, turn it into a, a, a focal point for the rest of the season. We've uh, we've been breaking quite a bit of streaks uh, in the last year or so. I like this. Uh, so yeah, that would be great to uh, to break this down there in Tempe. Uh, jumping back really quick to the kickoff time being eleven forty five to you um, or ten forty five. Yeah, uh, I'm just looking at the the Pac-12 slate for this weekend. Um, all the Eastern times for these kickoffs, 10.30 p.m. tomorrow night for Wazoo. Uh, you got a 1 o'clock, Colorado-Oregon State. That should be just a thrilling matchup, so let's disregard that one. But uh, Utah-USC at 5 on the on the West Coast. That'll be an 8 o'clock start. And you got UCLA-Arizona at 9 Eastern. Uh, UW Arizona State, like we said, at ten forty-five, and then we're actually not the latest game in the Pac-12 to start. Oregon and Stanford start at eight o'clock Pacific, so eleven o'clock start time. 
Um, so there you go again. Uh, that's what one, two, three, four, five of the seven games, or four of the six games, are starting at eight o'clock or later on the East Coast. So, um, yeah, not to not to get back to that whole point, but yeah, it's just another week of late games. I think the Pac-12 should just start playing on Tuesdays. Just just book the whole day. That's the total total exposure. No football on that day. It's it's their day. Yeah, it's like uh, I think what is the Mac is locked down Wednesday nights. Little, so, little, little action. Little, yeah, a little action. So maybe a little midweek Pac-12. Yeah, uh, I could get behind that, but yeah, um, yeah, it's it's not it's not the greatest. No, especially especially if you're on this coast. So yeah, I, I think uh, something's got to give with this next uh, next next contract that the that the Pac-12 signs, and and hopefully that this this just is a data point in it of of uh, the problems that can come with with uh dealing with with uh big time tv pro- tv providers but the, the sad part is it's uh, a necessary evil the al- the alternative is games on the pac-12 network that no one watches so um it's it's just a sad state of affairs that you're betrothed to the the espns and the foxes of the world um to get your program out there i i think too much uh focus of this whole talking this whole issue has been on exposure and you you touched on it a bit uh, earlier, but I think the main, uh, this, this just the overall disappointing part about the scheduling is, like you said, just people not really going, wanting to go to the games anymore because by the time they're getting home, it's after midnight. Uh, like you said, you know, your people, your dad's just next to has young, young kids and they can't go anymore. I know it's been challenging. Yeah, it's been challenging to get my dad to go to a couple of these games. Uh, I had to basically guilt trip him into going to this game this past weekend. Uh, so yeah, it's it's not. I I, I read on dogman.com of a lot of people on the East Coast, you know, saying how they can never watch games with their kids anymore because they're always so late, and it's just unfortunate because you know those should be memories and that that you should be able to experience with your kids. And um, I don't know, I don't know what the solution is. Uh, I don't know if there is a solution, but I I hope there's some change. I hope we maybe we can slide into those. Five o'clock, or I mean, I love a three thirty kick. A three thirty kick is probably my favorite time of any time. So, yeah, yeah, I, it's gonna be tough, but I mean, it's it's too bad when those three thirty kicks are are saved for the Sacramento States of the, of the world and and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, college football for a whole heck of a lot of reasons other than just TV and time slots uh, has some some serious questions to answer and and. You know the college athletics in general is in that is in that category, but that's that's a whole different conversation, one that hopefully we'll cover uh, at a different point. But uh, I think I think we've got just about everything. Any other f- parting thoughts heading into the U- ASU game about the season so far, anything like that? Um, we touched on most of them. Just uh, got to take care of business. Uh, we sh- we should beat every team on our schedule. I'm, I'm grouping the Cougars into that. I feel like we're we're a better team than them, and that's. Not me just being a homer. I think we're, we're more balanced and we got more depth. So uh, just take care of business and we'll uh, be right where we ended up last season, um, hopefully this time in Pasadena, which is potentially, will potentially be the greatest point of my life. So uh, that will be awesome too. Yeah, so. I haven't been to Pasadena since uh, since we whooped Drew Brees in the 2001 Rose Bowl. So um, yeah, who knows? Who knows? But. Anyways, it was it was good to catch up. Um, go dogs! We'll see how it goes this Saturday. Let's let's break the streak. All right. All right.
Sounds good. When we laugh and play the young pups. Oops, we having way too much fun. You in a doghouse, so you know you done. Cooking everybody like raw meat.